Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is your 157th video cast, 147th podcast for the week ending October 20th, 2022. Thanks for tuning in. We're going to quickly cover the media and then get right down. We've got a lot of data to cover today and want to get to it. So first, I'd like to thank Chloe Aiello and Allie Thompson, as well as Camille Smith over at Cheddar for having me on Monday morning to discuss markets. Um, also want to thank Phil Yin and Ryan Gallagher for having me on CGTN America Friday night, uh, Thursday night to discuss markets. Uh, want to thank uh, Ruth Carlson and B. Hugh over at Bloomberg for including me in their article on the uh, pound sterling. Uh, and finally, want to thank Bansari Kumdar for including me in her article on Reuters uh, Monday. Uh, want, uh, so we're going to get right down to it. want to cover a couple Buffett quotes because when things get choppy, you got to go back to the fundamentals and to the masters in the business. Um, and I like this quote that he had. He said, no matter how great the talent or the efforts, some things just take time. You can't produce a baby in one month by making nine women pregnant uh, from Warren Buffett. So I think that goes to show with some of the positions that are just taking longer than expected, uh, that are at incredible valuations, but uh, you know, sometimes a day or a week or a month, it feels like an eternity and it's really nothing in the scheme of things. And we're gonna look at some of the history today and walk through why that's the case. Uh, going back to Benjamin Graham, individuals who cannot master their emotions are ill-suited to profit from the investment process. And I think that speaks volumes to what Buffett is saying as well. When you've done your work and you know the intrinsic value, you just have to ignore the silly season. Uh, and that's what we're in right now. And we'll talk a little bit about that with some data. Uh, and then finally is Charlie Munger. The wise ones bet heavily when the world offers them that opportunity. They bet big when they have the odds and the rest of the time they just don't. It's just that simple. Uh, now, he doesn't say when you bet you got the exact bottom tick uh, in the market and it immediately goes up the next 24 hours. Uh, you know, you, you, you work with a crayon, not a scalpel. You get a good historic valuation for a good quality company and then you just wait for the market to come to you and wait for the irrational players to get shaken out. Uh, and then slowly but surely it reverts to intrinsic value and then it happens all at once. Uh, and before you know it, everyone wants it. And that's when you start laying off the, laying off the business, laying off the stock. In Buffett's 1997 letter, uh, he ex explains how he thinks about market fluctuations like this. So he said, uh, a short quiz, if you plan to eat hamburgers throughout your life and you're not a cattle producer, should you wish for higher or lower prices for beef? Likewise, if you're gonna buy a car from time to time, but you're not an auto manufacturer, should you prefer higher or lower car prices? These questions, of course, answer themselves. But now for the final exam. If you can expect to be a net saver during the next five years, should you hope for higher or lower stock market during that period? Many investors get this one wrong. Even though they're going to be net buyers of stocks for many years to come, they are elated when stock prices rise and depressed when they fall. And, uh, and there is a lot of depressed people in the market right now, and you can just see it and feel it, it's palpable. In effect, they rejoice because prices have risen for the quote hamburgers they will soon be buying. This reaction makes no sense. Only those who will be sellers of equities in the near future should be happy at seeing stocks rise. 
Prospective purchasers should much prefer sinking prices. For shareholders of Berkshire who do not expect to sell, the choice is even clearer. To begin with, our owners are automatically saving even if they spend every dime they personally earn. Berkshire saves for them by retaining all earnings, thereafter using these savings to purchase businesses and securities. Clearly, the more cheaply we make these buys, the more profitable our owner's indirect savings program will be. Furthermore, through Berkshire, you own major positions in companies that consistently repurchase their shares. Uh, that's a common theme we look for as well. The benefits that these programs supply us grow as prices fall. When stock prices are low, the funds that an investee spends on repurchases increase our ownership of that company by a greater amount than is the case when the prices are higher. For example, the repurchases that Coca-Cola, The Washington Post, and Wells Fargo made in the past years at very low prices benefited Berkshire far more than they do at today's repurchases uh, made at loftier prices. At the end of every year, about 97% of Berkshire's shares are held by the same investors who own, own them at the start of the year. That makes them savers. They should therefore rejoice when markets decline and allow both us and our investees to deploy funds more advantageously. So smile when you read a headline that says, quote, investors lose as the market falls. Edit it in your mind to, quote, disinvestors lose as the market falls, but investors gain. Though writers often forget this truism, there is a buyer for every seller, and what hurts one necessarily helps the other. As they say, say in golf matches, every putt makes someone happy. As we, ga uh, we gained enormously from the low prices placed on many equities and businesses in the 70s and 80s, markets that then were hostile to investment transients were friendly to those taking up permanent residence. In recent years, the actions we took in those decades have been validated, but we have found, new uh, we have found few new opportunities in its role as corporate quote saver, Berkshire continually looks for ways to sensibly deploy capital, but it may be some time before we find opportunities that get us truly excited. So, um, you know, you have to look across spectrums to find those areas in the world and those business, high quality businesses in the world that are truly at what Buffett refers to as those 1970s prices, 1980s prices, uh, when multiples were really low. And I uh, want to quickly go into um, China and um, Alibaba, etc. cetera, uh, because this chart came out in Bloomberg today, which showed the Hang Seng Index price to book ratio at a record low. And you may remember sometime back we covered this and we said, you know, when book gets this low, the Hang Seng rallies, and that, that certainly is the case when it gets to one times book. It's now trading at half of book. So this is a real extreme silly season. And um, I just want to go through some of the catalysts as we move into year end here. First and foremost, uh, for Alibaba in particular, which is our core holding in China, um, earnings and guidance come in early November. Uh, you've seen some positive notes come out about 10 cent. I think we're going to be surprised to the upside on Alibaba, particularly because the bulk of the lockdowns were in the second quarter. The third quarter started to reopen. There were some fits and starts, but I think people are gonna be pleasantly surprised. Uh, and then the guidance moving forward. So that's catalyst number one. So we've gotta see the earnings. Number two, the delisting resolution. When that initially hit, uh, Reuters interviewed some um, uh, big three accounting partners and they said they estimated between eight to 10 weeks. 
Let's say it's 12, that would put us in the middle of December. If it's eight, it would put us in the middle of November. If it's 10, it would put us uh, in the beginning of December. Uh, but that would be a situation where the delisting overhang from the US ADRs uh, uh, might bring some buyers back on that front. Third, you're gonna have that Hong Kong dual listing. That's supposed to be completed before the end of the year. They already have a listing, but a primary dual which means they would be able to uh, offer the shares to mainland China buyers uh, like Tencent is offered. And those mainland China buyers own about $30 billion of Tencent. I think there's been such pent up uh, demand to buy Alibaba for you know, a decade now uh, from mainland China buyers who, you know, it would be like uh, you know, knowing how, seeing the Amazon trucks coming in and out of your house and your neighbor's houses every single day and not being able to, able to buy Amazon stock for the last 10 years. So I think there'll be at least 30 billion there coming before end of year of buying powers. Um, COVID, you know, this week you had a spike up in COVID. So people got nervous on the Chinese stocks. That was part of it. And then you had uh, mixed reviews from the C CNP speeches. We'll go, uh, China National Congress speeches. We'll go through some of the policy initiatives there. Um, and then you've got a potential meeting between Xi and Biden at the um, uh, G20 in mid-November. That would be their first in-person meeting. Uh, you know, not holding your breath on, on um, you know, positive outcome from, uh, from an in-person meeting, but it's better than no meeting. And then finally, uh, dollar and yields nearing their end of ramp. This is the key to emerging market flows. We'll talk about that in the article of the week. So, you know, my general view is we're in silly season. It's just as ridiculous for Alibaba to trade at 140 as it is for it to trade at 50 or 70 or $90 a share. It's completely disconnected from reality. Uh, reality starts in our view at 200 to $250. And then we see how euphoric it can get from there what kind of multiple expansion, what is the market climate, um, you know, and when you look at this uh, Hang Seng price to book ratio at record low, you know, you can say, wow, this looks like a secular decline since 2010, you know, which kind of lines up with when Xi took power, but you don't need much reversion for a highest quality company like Alibaba to really have a run. As a matter of fact, um, uh, you've seen price to book for the index trade as high as three and a half times, four times book uh, in 2007, in 2000, in early 90s, etc. cetera. Um, but the, the most recent rally in Alibaba, uh, when Alibaba peaked out at $319, the Hang Seng was only trading at one and a half times book, which was historically low. So even if we reverted back to one times book from, from a half, or one and a half, I think you're going to see some monster, monster moves in, in Alibaba. You know, to give you an idea, the type of rallies that the Hang Seng as an overall index experienced in a matter of a couple of years when it traded off of those one times book valuations, you know, you look 98, 99, you're looking at uh, 200% gain in about a year and a half. Uh, you're looking at um, uh, 2003 to 2007, um, it traded from uh, 4X, so 300% return in that period. And uh, here in uh, 2016, you had a, a double, so 100% return in about a year and a half. 
Uh, and we'll see what happens this time, whether it reverts back to one or one and a half or goes back to historic euphoric phases, which is not outside the realm of possibility. We've talked about the demography of the country. Oh, and by the way, um, uh, the last time you had a similar demography was 15 years ago. Um, I want to pull this up, actually. These demographics. So you can visualize this. Um, okay. So if you look here, you have two big... Um, Perfect. Okay. If you look here, you have two big bulges in population. Uh, and this is from two years ago. So these people were then on average 32. Now they're 34. And these people right here 15 years ago uh, at the peak were, so they're now 55. Uh, so they were just hitting 40 at the peak. And we've said in recent weeks, the 35 to 40 is when you get the biggest run in the shortest amount of time across all stock markets across all the world in the last 100 years. That's why the U.S. is set up so perfectly. We've got our biggest bulge right now uh, around age 32 with the millennials. So we've got eight years of runway where we're going to see housing formation, family formation, et cetera, et cetera. We've covered many times. But look what happened. So if you go back 15 years ago, this group was right where this group is right now, which is what's gonna happen over the next few years, and what happened to their market during that period, uh, that's when they had this monster run of uh, 4X, 300% gain in a handful of years, and we've got that coming right up right now. Uh, and then I think after that, that's it for China. There's no, no big demographics to back it up in the next few decades. So China's toast after that. But I do think that for the next, uh, so this group now is about 33 to 36. I think for the next three to five years, we're going to see a move similar to what we saw, whether it's 150, 200, 300% for the Hang Seng with the weight that you have in Alibaba, that's gonna, that's gonna be all. So, so you can get distracted. I mean, literally, it makes no difference at this point whether Alibaba is at $140 or at $50. Neither price makes sense. Uh, once we get over 200, then we're starting to get in the realm of a reasonable valuation. And that's not even taking into account what we discussed last week, which is the, the, the cloud as the growth driver. Um, that business will triple uh, between now and 2025. Alibaba has the greatest share. The operating margin should expand up to 25, 30%. And that's going to add $10 billion of operating income to their peak, which was $16 billion. So uh, when it traded at 319, so max upside over 500 if you get the crazy multiple. Uh, uh, cut that in half if you get a trough multiple and you're still looking at a $250, $300 stock. The key is, you know, number one, we bet big, whether, whether you buy it at 120 or you buy it at 70, it, it really makes no difference at this, at, at this stage. You buy some up, you buy some down. The key is owning the highest quality business in the region that's growing and has a moat, uh, you know, controlling your emotions. Uh, and some things just take time and you just have to accept that. And it'll, it'll you know, vacillate on every single headline, whether COVID's over, whether COVID's not over, whether they're shutting down a small city or a big city. All of those things are temporary. 
a moat and a high quality business that's established the way they are both domestically in China and internationally in Asia and Eastern Europe uh, is going to continue to grow and expand and they're five to ten years behind us on digitization. So these factors, uh, the day to day is hard, there's no question about it, but as you look a little bit out and you have a little bit of patience, uh, you'll, you'll get the prize. And um, China, so here's some more things that are coming out now. They're starting to, to do a little bit of panic, which is good to see. China to ease share buyback rules amid a sluggish, sluggish market. Um, draft rules as China benchmark lost 20% so far. Uh, improved market sentiment comes ahead of China's politically key CN, uh, China Party Congress opening on Sunday. Um, as Xi opens Congress, Congress state hands keep market steady. So they're intervening in the markets now to hold the market steady. And I think after the CNC, we're going to uh, probably start to see some bidding. I think uh, you saw the Hang Seng short interest at record highs of 20% going into the CNC meeting. People are trying to hedge against risks and uh, uh, the mercurial nat uh, nature of this uh, existing government regime. Uh, and I think it was kind of net neutral. Um, but to, if you look at the plans that he laid out, you see here China's economy needs to double in size to meet Xi's ambitious plans of being a medium developed country by 2035 implies a doubling of size of the economy from 2020 levels. Um, and uh, per capita gross domestic product will take a new giant leap to reach the level of medium developed country by 2035. Uh, and, you know, I think they'll get uh, really make some good headway on this, um, you know, for the next three or four years, and then they'll hit a brick wall. And by then we'll be laying off our stock. But, uh, you know, it's a great plan. And I hope they take the actions in the short term to fulfill on that. Um, Alibaba and other Chinese stocks jump as President Xi reassures on tech. That was the headline on Monday. Uh, they said they want massive investment in tech. The other positive thing was they kept economic development as the number one priority. People were, did not think that was going to happen. They thought they were going to focus on security. Um, and um, while some of the headlines were that they're going to keep a zero COVID, uh, what it, it's nuanced. What it actually was, they praised uh, what they did with zero COVID. They made no mention to what they're doing moving forward. And you're seeing today they're actually easing some of the quarantine rules and that's why the markets were up big before uh, Fed President Harker came out and said, we're going to you know, raise rates to the moon. So, um, so that's that. Uh, this is an article. Where are we at here? This is an article from... Um, Jim Paulson, it's actually Market Watch, and he looked at the relationship between the 10-year yield and the S&P 500 in the past Fed tightening cycles. He found five periods since the mid-80s when the 10-year yield peaked, signaling bond investors blinked before the Fed stopped raising its policy interest rate. Uh, so in 1984, once the 10-year yield topped over 14% in June, it then took only a few more weeks for the S&P index to bottom. Uh, the S&P 500 then surged in August, be even before the central bank ended its tightening cycle with the Fed funds rate uh, near 1150. So what he's saying is, um, uh, 
if that 10-year, and, and Jeffrey Gunlack, the bond king, put out a tweet affecting the same exact data, and what he said was that, uh, here we are, Jeffrey Gunlack, here is where we are now in the U.S. Treasury bond market. The two-year yields at 452, five years 437, 10-year 413, 13-year 413. Note how the long end is flat. Sign of yield increase exhaustion. This is key. Sign of yield increased exhaustion. Treasury yields may well be peaking between now and year end. If that is the case, then what that means is the dollar will have peaked and money is going to start to flow like crazy into emerging markets. Biggest weight in emerging markets is China. Biggest weight in most indices is uh, Alibaba and Tencent. So, um, I, you know, we're right at the crest. And it's always darkest before dawn. And that's what you get. And you'll probably get one final leg sweep just to take all, out all of the people hanging on to hope by their fingernails. And like I said, at this stage, it literally makes no difference if you're buying Alibaba at 120 or 40 or 70 or 50 because it's so out of line with the reality of the underlying business and where this is going to be in the next three to five years. It's like, you know, <laughs> buy some here, buy some on the way up, uh, you know, anywhere in this range. I think if you look out three to five years, you're going to be happy. Again, this is opinion, not advice. Anything can happen. See terms on hedgefundtips.com. But, um, you know, this is what we do. And as a matter of fact, uh, for those of you who've been with us for a while, if you remember, I sent that chart of the um, Hang Sang over to Phil uh, Vasiliu from um, the Chandler Brothers. If you remember Chandler Brothers, they turned 10 million into 5 billion over two decades. And, you know, I said to him, you know, I wonder what Richard and Chris would be doing if they were just starting out with a, uh, a valuation in Hong Kong like this. Because if you remember, they made their first big gain by buying Hong Kong real estate when uh, everyone was afraid that the Chinese government was going to take it over. And, uh, and I think they made 3x. They turned like 30 million into 70 million and then you know and then they went off to Latin America when no one wanted that and then Russia when no one wanted that and then South Korea when no one wanted that and then Japan when no one wanted that uh, and I also remember the story of uh, I think it was Richard uh, when they were waiting for things to turn because there was nothing to do you just have to sit through it he took up golf and just started playing golf nonstop, <laughs> waiting for these things to reach intrinsic value. And I'll tell you, that's probably why they got 10 million to 5 billion because they didn't get shaken out in the short term. They held on to those quality assets, many of which went you know, hugely against them before they were doubles, triples, quadruples as we went through the story. And if you, if you haven't heard that, if you're new to it, you can just go to uh, youtube.com and um, search hedge fund tips and you can look up the interview with Phil Vasiliu, the CIO of Legatum, which is the Chandler Brothers investment vehicle and philanthropic vehicle. Um, okay, so moving right along. Um, so that is critical as it relates to yields, as it relates to uh, the dollar as it relates to emerging markets. And Jim Paulson's one of the best in my view. Uh, Brennan Ahern over, uh, I guess this is from um, 
the guys who run the K-Web. I usually see Brendan's stuff on Twitter. This was written by Dr. Xiaolin Chen, who I guess works for them. And they just covered the takeaways from the China National Congress. Um, one key message Xi said is, quote, the next five years is the crucial period for China to achieve all the goals set here and achieve a modernized society for China. Uh, how we at Crane Shares interpret this is the next five years are all about executing, implementing, and delivering the goal. Historically, this is a period in which monetary, fiscal, and regulatory policies should stay accommodative for corporates to focus on action. In our opinion, this is positive for the market. Uh, so he goes through the goals here. You can find this at chinalastnight.com. They publish every day their thoughts on the Chinese market. Um, China's big leadership reveal will show the extent of Xi's power. We're going to find out on Monday who, um, uh, well, Sunday they're going to announce who are going to be the leaders. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I guess you could get some bullish news on this, but they all answer to him, so they're going to do whatever he says. And uh, if he's true to his goals, uh, they have to be accommodative and they have to be expansive moving forward. Uh, Tencent steps up their share buybacks, the highest of all time. Uh, Baba's been doing massive buybacks, increased the buyback authorization. Uh, and that's it. You know, I mean, you, you watch what they do, not what they say. Uh, and I think uh, management there, they've been shrewd uh, allocators of capital for many decades. That's going to continue. And they're using this opportunity uh, to take advantage. So uh, our Chinese stock set for a 2015 style rebound pick up in margin trading volume offers good leading signal. So um, let's see here. Okay. Leverage bets as a percentage of total trading in the Shanghai and Shenzhen have risen this month from a record low on September 30. Market rebounded 50% within 10 months when this ratio hit the previous low in early July of 2015. So uh, that move, if you recall, I believe was 100% um, move for the Hang Seng, let's see. Which means, you know, many stocks were up two and three and 400%. Let's see, HSI. June 2015, let's pull it up. So this 15 through 16, so this was a double. So this was a 100% move there. Uh, China's three, tr $3 trillion US dollar stock sell-off seen nearing an end as share buybacks, buying by fund managers indicate recovery. Share buybacks by mainland traded companies, historically an indicator of rising stock prices are up 86% this year. Uh, this week, at least 26 asset management firm have unveiled plans to invest millions into their own funds, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of good news, it has to be absorbed. There's still a lot of weak hands getting out. We covered the demographics. China's economy is recovering and improving, Premier Li says. Thank you for the reassurance. Why don't you publish your numbers now? They didn't publish, they delayed publishing their uh, economic numbers because they didn't want to distract with the China National Congress. So hopefully we'll see them next week. That could be a positive upside surprise. Um, next is, we covered this about the CNC. By the way, the other thing that happened, um, 
during that period, which is really interesting. If you remember, I covered that uh, 2003 to 2007 when the indices Hang Seng rose 400%. Uh, let's just get that back here. years all right so you can see it here okay this move here was preceded by a similar move to what we had this year okay just a never-ending waterfall here I'm sorry waterfall here and by the way the bottom even looks similar uh, in that you know, you've got this final flush out where they take out the lows, this final flush out where they take out the lows, and then boom, three, four years. And by the way, it was the demographics at the same time, uh, which we showed you, that, that are setting up exactly the same way uh, going into this. So, so we're, you know, we're, we're very optimistic here. Uh, we feel very good about it. We hate the short-term day-to-day. Uh, it's, it's not a big deal. Uh, you know, for us, for our capital, we're fine. You know, for clients, just, you know, walking them through uh, this aspect of it and then until we get to the fun part. And then the fun part, it just like, it's going to be the exact same thing. It just like, it feels like it never ends on the downside. It's going to feel like it never ends on the upside as it just keeps moving and moving and moving for the next three to five years. So, uh, so we're excited about that. Moving right along. And these are the demographics that we're pointing to. These guys right here were right here when this started, okay? And uh, the reason I brought that up is because you had these three horrible years. Hong Kong's stock benchmark heads for three, state, three third straight annual loss. It was the exact same thing, um, 2001, 2002, 2003, and then you got those huge... Uh, next few years where you had the 300% gain in the index and 10x and many, many high quality stocks. Exact same thing right now, the exact same setup. So you just got to hang on a little longer. Uh, like Buffett says, no matter how great the talent or the analysis, some things just take time, uh, you know, not, you know uh, and that's that. Uh, China stocks pair loss on report, authorities mull quarantine cut. Uh, we'll talk about that in more detail. Uh, Sumit sent uh, some, some more detail from Bloomberg on that. All right, now we'll go to the U.S. stuff really quickly. Expect rallies in stocks. Investors are holding tons of cash. We've covered this. We'll have some graphs to go along with that in just a second. BOFA's Moynihan says consumers are showing little weakness. Uh, consumer strength is propping up the economy. Con quote, consumers are spending. They have money. They are employed and they have good credit. Uh, if consumers have money in this big consumer economy, that's what keeps America strong. So very bullish. He should run for president. Uh, this is uh, Now, this is very, very interesting. You know, part of my theme the last couple of weeks is that central banks are relenting around the world. Uh, the bond market uh, will discipline the policymakers. As a matter of fact, the bond market pushed trust out of power in the UK this week. Expect more of that to come. The next shoe to drop maybe will certainly be the midterms. Uh, that's clear, but, but uh, may in fact be Powell if things don't turn around very soon. Uh, and... Um, uh, when it's time for people to go, they go. Now, this was a trial balloon put out over the weekend from uh, Secretary Yellen. 
quote unquote, this is not QE or QT. This is none of those. Why the US Treasury is exploring debt buybacks. <laughs> so uh, the ECB already had to do this and buy Italian periphery bonds. The BOE had to do it with gilts. Uh, RBA uh, uh, raised less than expected. They were gonna go 50, they only went 25. And now uh, the plan, if adopted, uh, Treasury Department on Friday said its plans to start talking with primary dealers in late October about the potential for it to begin buying back some of its older debt to help stave off market dysfunction. Uh, so in other words, we'll buy your old debt if you buy our new debt because there are no bidders for it. Uh, the plan, if adopted, would mark a milestone in the roughly $22.6 trillion U.S. government debt market, the world's largest, by providing a new tool for the Treasury to help aid market liquidity, i.e. buying bonds, <laughs> a source of growing concern after what they saw in England. So, um, you know, uh, thou dost protesteth too much, methinks. Uh, I think that's uh, the, the lady dost protesteth too, protesteth too much, methinks, from Hamlet. I think we're seeing another sign of that. And, uh, and this could be the blink that is ultimately happening. Because if you look at the two-year yield, the next 150 basis points is already priced in that everyone's so scared of. So, um, okay, this is from Jeffrey Hirsch. More bears end in October than any other month. Uh, uh, eight, of the last 20, eight of the last 23 since World War II. So this is a month that things bottom in reverse. Uh, we'll talk more about that. This is very interesting. Globally critical chip firm ASML jumps 6% after earnings, sees limited impact from US-China curbs. You know, I was looking at the semiconductor because everyone has recency bias, so everyone's saying this is 2000 all over again, semiconductors are never coming back. And that could be true. I mean, I think that's just as invalid as the people who say, you know, semiconductors are the new oil when they were at all-time highs six months ago uh, and we can't live... It is a cyclical business, but... Uh, sometimes these overcorrect. I mean, I look at this sector has just been decimated down 50%. Some of the stocks down 70, 80, 90%. Uh, but if you look at estimates over the last, you know, four months since uh, two months, rather, they're down 5%. So while the price has collapsed, you know, 30, 40, 50% uh, year to date more than that, uh, you know, there's some, there, there, there may be something to do there uh, in, in, not too, in the not too distant future. We're going to keep an eye on uh, this is usually what's needed before things can bottom. The, the bull, most bullish of the bull, Kalanovic, he rolled back his uh, 4,800 price target. He pushed it into 4,800 on the basis of the war and the policy and the hawkish talk, etc. Um, so that's a good sign. And then finally, Fed officials look at higher peak for rates as inflation doors. However, Esther George was out warning that too, against too much haste, in raising borrowing costs, kind of like, let's see how it goes. Let's not throw ourselves off the cliff and have to backtrack like you saw in England. Uh, Peter Schiff wrote this interesting article on Zero Hedge. And, um, uh, you know, Peter's, you know, usually pretty bearish on everything, bullish on gold. Uh, but he, I, I like what he wrote here. And, and I know I've known Peter for a long time. He's a great guy. Our wives are friends, etc. Uh, and, uh, and love seeing him when, he, when he's up in Connecticut. But, uh, you know, what he wrote here uh, was, was I, I, I couldn't agree more with. He's basically saying that um, thinks the markets are starting to question. Okay. He's, he's saying how they, they weren't able to raise in the last cycle without breaking things. And the same thing's going to happen here. 
Um, so he thinks the markets are starting to question the narrative, but they still haven't figured out that the Fed is stuck between a giant rock and a hard place. The Fed is going to have to pivot, but inflation is going to run out of control. They've got to make a choice. Do they want inflation or do they want economic implosion? Of course, if the central bank chooses inflation, we're still going to have an implosion because we'll ultimately end up in stagflation. It'll just happen later. Uh, you know, I, I've never known Peter not to call for, you know, uh, 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 an implosion. But, um, uh, you know, but, but that's fine. You know, I mean, he's, he's got an incredible business and does incredible things. Uh, but th this is good enough for the politicians. All they care about is that it doesn't happen now. I agree with him right now. They'll kick the can down the road. There's only one way to legitimately fight inflation. They have to raise interest rates above the rate of inflation so real interest rates are positive. Right now, real rates are negative 0.5%. This is a very important, astute point that Peter's making. Meanwhile, the U.S. government has to make massive spending cuts. They're not even considering that uh, because right now, the way the government pays for spending is with inflation. Inflation is the stealth tax by which government pays for everything. A lot of wisdom here. How did we get all this government, we didn't get it for free. We paid for it with inflation. They created money to pay for all this stuff. Now, if the government wants to get rid of inflation, they have to get rid of that money. That is not happening. I love the way that he frames this. Uh, so that brings us back to the choice. Do we want to have a financial crisis and cut government spending uh, and allow bankruptcies and defaults and all these losses, or do we want to have inflation? Peter says they'll pick inflation. Brilliant. The reason the Fed is going to pick inflation is because that happens later. And as we've seen, they can come up with a scapegoat, blame inflation on somebody else. They never accept responsibility for the inflation they create. So if the Fed keeps hiking rakes and everything implodes, well, hey, we did that to ourselves. If prices run out of control, we can blame OPEC. After all, they just cut production for oil. We could blame Putin. We could blame greedy corporations. We could blame capitalism, speculators. I mean, maybe they'll even try to blame me, uh, which is what Peter said. Who knows? Uh, so uh, I, I just love it. I think it's brilliant. I'm, I'm glad he published that. And I'm you know, grateful to everyone that publishes great, great stuff out there. It takes, takes a lot of courage and a lot of work to be out there all the time and uh, you know, deal with the, the short-term fluctuations. So kudos to Peter. Uh, European auto stocks rally after sales rise for a second month in a row. This is good news on uh, autos and auto parts. We're up in Europe this week on that basis. Uh, obviously, for those following Cooper Standard, we're excited to hear, hear news like this. Um, next, retail investors are the most bearish they've been in months after September's inflation shock, but a rebound in the S&P would spark a new buying free spree, research firm says. So we all know they're buying more SQQQ. They're shorting in the hole, um, as we've discussed. And, um, and sure enough, that they will get their faces ripped off. Uh, you see that they weren't selling as the market was crashing. They're selling now in the hole. Market bottomed in June. We retested now. That's when they've been building up cash after the house has burned down. They're buying insurance. And that's the foundation for the next rally. Uh, and um, I think that could come sooner than most people expect. Will the Fed raise rates too much? Rents are part of the problem. This is an article that uh, uh, supports um, Jeremy Siegel's arguments of the last couple of weeks and what we've been saying, how it's miscalculated, and if they wait for it to show up in their official numbers, uh, you know, house prices are coming down, rents are lagging, owners' equivalent rents are miscalculate and, and misleading and works on a lag basis. They won't see this come down for 10 months, and if they keep raising on that basis, they'll blow things up. Uh, I'll take Peter's side that they're not going to do that. Uh, but in the meantime, the more they talk, the more they're panicked that they, they have no tools left. 
Um, and um, they just want to bring, I think what they basically want to do is scare the hell out of the market until those inflation break-evens come down below 2%, so they have a margin of safety. And then at that point, they can say, okay, we're going to pause and see how it goes. We can always raise more, uh, and, and that will be the end of it. Um, this is just, we're not going to go through all the metrics today, but you know where we are uh, at periods where you get paid to buy, not sell. Uh, Liz Trust was defeated by the bond market. Who's next? I mean, that's really what it's going to come down to. Uh, as we get closer to winter, don't be surprised. You've seen the protests this week in Europe for energy and food prices. That's just beginning. That puts pressure on them to get something done with Russia. Uh, not holding my breath there, but you'd be amazed when the pressure becomes acute, how good things can happen. Uh, Ed Clissold from uh, Ned Davis, I think. Uh, going through charts, these five stood out. The market is entering the most bullish phase of the four-year presidential cycle, but macro backdrop is terrible, which will win. Uh, we favor... Uh, historical perspectives, useful context. So here is where it turns in October of the presidential and the steepest rally is usually from October of the midterm election cycle, i.e. this year, to uh, summer of next year. That's, that's the seasonally most bullish period, the most rally for the, in the least amount of time of the four-year presidential cycle every four years on average. Uh, so that's worth noting. Uh, more on the presidential cycle and then the seasonality, which we've already covered with, uh, with Hirsch. So that, that was a really great contribution. Uh, check him out. Then we've got, uh, it never pays to be too negative pessimistic. This is from Seth Golden. Uh, market is not the economy. A recession may loom, but by the time NIBR, National Bureau of Economic Research, has announced that S&P has gained on average 61% off the low since 1980. So if you're all waiting for the official declaration that we've already had a recession, uh, by the time that happens, the market is up on average 61% off the bottom. Why? Because the market's a discounting mechanism. The market's down 25% because it discounted a recession. The market is uh, going to be up uh, discounting a recovery well before it happens. So um, and, and this is a beautiful quote that Charlie Bellello put on this quote from South Golden. Uh, if you wait for the Robins, spring will be over. If, and the quote is actually, if you, wait, if you wait for the Robins to sing, it's already spring. So, um, uh, so that's, that's it. You got to be buying when it looks ugliest. And right now it looks ugliest and uh, uh, there's no question about it. Um, this was from Kathy Yuan Zhang via Sumit Kapoor. China debating to cut COVID quarantine for inbound travelers. Uh, zero, COVID zero border controls leaving China isolated globally. Airlines will increase international flights later this month. Chinese officials are debating whether to reduce the amount of time people coming into the country must spend in mandatory quarantine, according to people familiar with the discussions as country's COVID zero policy leaves it increasingly isolated from the rest of the world. Bureaucrats are looking at cutting the quarantine period to two days in a hotel and then five days at home said the people asking not to be identified as these discussions are private. Currently, China requires 10 days of isolation on entry into the country with seven days confined to a hotel room and then another three days at home uh, when people are still monitored and subject to regular testing. This is the most ridiculous policy in the history of mankind, but at least they're getting better. Uh, Kashkari was out last night, who is now, he was Mr. Dove, uh, a year ago, no inflation anywhere ever. Uh, now he's Mr. Hawk, but he's saying that 
possible that headline inflation has peaked. Uh, okay, that's good. Um, thus far in October, used car prices per the Mannheim index are tanking. Year on year, negative 10% is the worst since the great financial crisis. Max drawdown during the pandemic was negative 9.1, has now been surpassed. So this is going to come down even more as that new car supply comes on with the chips that have been starting to flow since June. Uh, good insight from Vanda Research. Overnight, Hong Kong's main board short turnover declined 21% yesterday was still 19% of total turnover. So what they're saying here is this research shop is saying uh, investors seem to have entered the China National Congress meeting well hedged. Uh, which ends on Sunday, by the way. If the mini risk on wave carries into mid-November, we expect some short covering uh, in eight shares to capture upside risk. We recommend buying MSCI China index um, as the short covering uh, unwinds. So uh, we'll see how that plays out. Interesting thesis. Uh, this is from my friend Tiho. Uh, over the, this shows kind of the, the, the abrupt rally once things change. In the early 80s, inflation bear market um, just kept sliding lower and lower for a whole year, just like we're having now. The bottom was reached, and then the market shot up so fast it recovered all the losses in four months. <laughs> so, you know, whether we're here or most like, or here or, you know, could very well be right here, um, once it turns, I don't think they're going to let anyone in. I think it's going to be very much like the pandemic. When you get that turn, it's going to be a hard turn very quick turn. This will be the one that suckers everyone in going short, um, looking for the another retest that never comes. And then it just keeps ripping, ripping, ripping higher. Uh, and the people that miss this are going to miss everything. They, they all got into cash here. And then in four months, they won't be able to catch up. And then my phone will be ringing like crazy right here uh, with everyone wanting to be new investors. So right here, no one's interested. Up here, everyone will be interested. And by then, you know, Bob will probably be like 225, 230, somewhere in the, that, that point. And people will be like, wow, that, that, that looks good. Can we get some? I'm like, yeah, but you missed, you know, uh, a good portion of the move. So that's the way it works. Always has, always will. Human emotion is the same. Uh, hedge fund tips and friends report from, uh, this is from Paul Smith. Three, oh, this was, this was really cool. Uh, 350,000 cars need to be replaced from Hurricane Ian. So for the Cooper Standard followers, uh, that's good news for us. That's going to be some good short-term demand and help uh, Cooper do their 30 to 50 million of EBITDA that they guided for Q3 and Q4. Uh, and, uh, you know, between the cash they have, the ABL loan, which they've guided, that those two things are like four, 419, 419 million. Uh, they went cash break even last quarter. If they do 30 to 50 million of EBITDA, that's really going to be positive. Uh, they've got a lot of money fronted to the OEMs uh, in CapEx that could get paid back sooner. Uh, we estimate that's somewhere, you know, just shy of 100 million. So now you're over 500 million, give or take. Uh, and that's our best estimate, not theirs. And then um, uh, PP, uh, property plan and equipment, 750, let's assume. Uh, and they've said as much uh, that they're working on more sale leaseback. So let's say they generate another 50 to 100 million like they did the other sale leaseback. It basically could be somewhere in the neighborhood X cash they generate in the next few quarters of 550, 600. And they've only got 300 due at the end of next year. So uh, I think the market's going to start to figure that out. If these earnings are good, um, you know, the, the, the old saying goes when you don't... <laughs> 
when you don't need the money, everyone wants to give you the money. And I, I think it'll be no different with uh, CPS. They could basically pay off their debt from liquidity and cash flow as we get closer to that maturity. And once that's the case, everyone, you know, the term loan guys will probably extend it, maybe a little bit of pay down, get an extension. And then the 2024, uh, by then the credit markets will be so common, exciting. Uh, they'll be able to, you know, take out, take down the whole thing. So, um, so, but like Buffett said, these things take time uh, and uh, you just gotta, just gotta hang tight. China state planner vice head, the Chinese economy grow, shows substantial recovery in the third quarter. Great, now show us your numbers. Um, okay, and I think, oh, okay, this is, this is a good one from Seth Golden. The market will never send you an email stating, quote, the bottom is in. And the financial media will ensure the reasons you are out remain the reasons you are out as the economy climbs a wall of worry. So the, when the headlines are the worst is the time you want to be buying, not when the headlines are, are, are comforting. By then, you've already missed the whole move. So these are headlines from 2009 bottom, 2011 bottom, and the 2018 bottom uh, going into 19. Uh, so this was 2009. Many highly profitable companies cut jobs in 2009. Most people say, well, if they're cutting jobs, you know, but remember the market's a discounting mechanism. Here's another one, beware of the double dip. Remember everyone was looking for that and they didn't buy in 2009 and 2010 and they missed it. Here's the other one, don't be fooled by the latest stock market rally. That was also in late 2009. Um, uh, and then this was 2018 after, after uh, Powell screwed up the first time in December 2018. They put out these headlines, which were stock market facing a 2019 crash, 70% correction coming. So, you know, <laughs> you just can't make this stuff up. And, and, uh, and it just happens over and over and over and people get tricked by it every single time. Uh, okay, article of the week, what to watch now, stock market and sentiment results. The good news is that sentiment and, position continue, sentiment and positioning continues to persist at capitulation levels. The bad news is the key levers that cause a buyer's panic into the market uh, have not yet been activated. However, that may change soon. By the way, I'm just seeing uh, Jeremy Siegel is on uh, Closing Bell Overtime on CNBC right now. So you can check that out uh, and see what he's saying um, uh, there. Uh, on September 21st, 2022, the Fed dot plot Dot plot told us they intend to take short rates up to 4.6% by early next year. We're currently at 3.0 to 3.25, which means they are anticipating 150 basis points more in hikes before it goes back down to 3.9. I don't think they will get there without the credit markets forcing them to relent. See trust this morning, but let's assume they do. How bad is it? It's so bad that the market has already priced it in. The two-year yield closed at 450 yesterday, which effectively prices in the full 150 basis points. Anything less than that and the reversal starts. Um, so, you know, everyone worried about 150, it's, it's priced in. Um, now, the three above charts are the keys to the market. This is what you need to watch. When they stop going up, the two-year yield, the 10-year yield, and the U.S. dollar, the market will, will rally quickly aggressively and massively as no one is positioned for such a change. These three charts are all you need to watch for a sign of change. Everything else is noise right now. As beautiful as earnings are coming in much better than expected as we pounded the table would happen, it's not gonna matter until these, these three things back off a little bit, which again, I think could be sooner than later. 
Uh, the only people positioned for a stabilization in rates and a decline in the dollar are commercial hedgers. They are always early and they are always right. You can bet that they'll be wrong this one time, but the odds are dramatically against you. So, you know, you don't know exactly where they're going to be right. Like if you, you know, here they were short and it continued for a little while and then it all crashed at once. Here it was right on time. Here it was right on time, more or less. Uh, but, but when they're short, you don't want to be getting long, okay? You want to be getting out of whatever they're in. And you see it here uh, in 2019 and in 2017 and 2015 and 2013, 12, 10, 9, 2005. It worked every single time. They're short as hell. Eventually, this is going to stop going up and everything's going to change. Huge flows into emerging markets, um, risk on. All these people in cash are going to get their faces ripped off. The media is going to put out beware of the double dip. They're going to stay in cash. And then when the market's up 40, 45% off the bottom, my phone's going to be ringing like crazy with people wanting to put money with me, but they missed the biggest part of the greatest moves that they could have been getting in right now. Um, 10 year note, uh, you've got uh, same exact thing. They're the most long, uh, the, the bonds that they've been since the bottoms in 2018. 2017, 2014, 2011, 2010, 2008, 2006, 2004, 2009. You can bet against them again and hoping this, this one time they'll be wrong, uh, but history really doesn't support it, support it. So bet against them at your peril. You know, Go short bonds. Think that yields are going to go up in perpetuity and see how that works out. Uh, Cheddar News, uh, we, we covered this. Here are my show notes from the segment. This is worth listening. Check it out with Chloe. Uh, we've covered a lot of these subjects in past uh, things. This was really interesting. Retail positioning. Last week, retail traders bought $19.9 billion worth of puts to open. They bought only $6.5 billion worth of calls. This is the first time in history that puts were three times called. Every other time was close to a major low. 2020, 2016, 29, 23. Uh, if you think the dealers are going to let these pay out, you're smoking something crazy. Uh, and uh, I'd suggest that you uh, go seek treatment for your addiction. So uh, this is from sentiment trader Jay Gopeford. Extreme institutional readings such as these usually presage big turnarounds in the market. Same thing with recession expectations. April 2020, March 2009, the bottom was already in. Cash levels highest since 9-11. Uh, here, what are commercials doing? They're buying S&P futures while everyone is selling and getting to cash. Here's what happened the last you know, six, seven times. Bottom, 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 bottom. And we'll see if this is a bottom as well. Again, you can bet this will be the exception and maybe you'll be right. But, I, you know, I, 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 you know, amateurs play in absolutes, professionals play in probabilities. I think the probability favor us that, that uh, um, the pain trade in the next three months is going to be the upside, not the downside, even if they take one leg down just to wipe everyone out before they rip it back higher. And before anyone knows what's happening, the market's up 20, 30 percent off the lows and everyone's saying, what happened? Oh, we're going to retest anyway. Don't worry about it you know, get short, yada, 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 hook, you suck in all the shorts and then rip it back up to new highs in 2023. Um, and then I gave her three picks, Boeing, Disney, JP Morgan. These are kind of no brainers. Uh, covered some of the key things from the uh, China National Congress speech. Basically, economic development was the priority. That's a good thing, not a bad thing. Uh, institutional positioning. This is the Bank of America Global Fund Manager Survey. Just click on that. I put out 30 some odd charts that covers all the extreme positioning. Every single one you can line up with an S&P chart and you'll see that it would have paid to be a buyer, not a seller based on the extremes. 
their investors are overweight cash or underweight equities. You never want to be on that side of the boat. The most crowded trade is the long US dollar. You can go back and look at all the other crowded trades and you can see that it didn't, they didn't end well. If you're on the same side of the boat as everyone else, you're going to get roasted. Uh, there are no marginal buyers. So what's priced into the markets? Bad earnings, bad balance sheet reduction, another 150 basis point of hikes, supply chain issues, shortage of labor, energy price shocks, record inflation, drawn out war in Ukraine. That's all known. That's what's priced in. What's not priced in to the markets? Interest rates falling, U.S. dollars stabilizing, up to a trillion dollars of buybacks before the new 1% buyback tax hits on January 1st, 2023. And when are those buying, buying sprees going to come in? After earnings. So after their blackout period ends. So we got all the big tech next week. They're going to report. And then they'll be in the market buying ahead of that new tax. Historically low unemployment rate. $750 billion of stimulus that hasn't even hit the economy yet. Supply chain improving. Freight rates dropping. Collapsing prices. Commodities. Gas. Rents. Used cars. Political gridlock after November 8th election. Very bullish. Millennials, 72 million, housing and family for, formation wave just beginning, not priced in. Less hikes than 150 basis points or more. It's possible. That's certainly not priced in. What's priced in, just look at the two-year yield. 150 basis points priced in. God forbid they do 75.50. People are going to be uh, uh, you know, uh, doing uh, cartwheels. Uh, a ceasefire in Russia, Ukraine, low probability, but odds rise as Europeans start to freeze their ass off as winter comes. Uh, and the protest approach, and more and more leaders and policymakers get thrown out of office like trust. Now, on to the shorter-term market, uh, AAII, bullish percent. Uh, again, these are, you know, financial crisis lows were 19%, we're at 22%. Pandemic lows were 20%, we're at 22%. These are areas you're generally rewarded if you have a patient view. Uh, look out a little bit uh, to buy, buy equities and... Uh, buy stocks versus sell, sell them in the hole. Um, so you can go through all of these again. You'll just see if you line them up with an S&P chart when they're at this extreme of levels, uh, you get paid to buy. Uh, oil servicers earnings, uh, top 30 weights in the last 60 days are up 17% and for next year up 6%. Uh, Arc Innovation, this is interesting. I had Carter do these. And um, her earnings, it seems like her earnings have stopped falling, more or less. I mean, they were negative $51, uh, top 30 weights. Uh, they're now negative, they were negative 47, they're now negative 51 for this year. They were negative 27, they're now negative 32. So they've fallen modestly in the last 60 days, but the rate of change has eased up. So we'll see. Keep an eye on that one. If that one actually gets a bid, then, then all this is over. Uh, but it's, it's worth noting that the rate of change is slowing down. Earnings have been much better than expected across the board from J&J &J to Bank of America, even IBM, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, and, and some of the semiconductors, uh, LAM Research, uh, the other one, ASML, you know, people are so bearish on semiconductors right now. I think there are going to be some things to do there. Um, and that's that, uh, economic data, by the way, if you're on the, uh, podcast, you're going to get cut off in a minute. So I'll just try to finish up here. I wanted to cover this. So earnings have stayed basically the same down 4%, but that happened last quarter. We'll see if they go up or down, but for next year, the most hated sector is the one that's expected to grow earnings at the highest rate, consumer discretionary. No one will touch it with the 10 foot pole. We're going to start to look in there. I think Amazon is in that group. 
Um, 38.8% expected uh, growth. Industrials are the second. Communication services, can't give them away. 14.9. So those are going to be the top three earnings growth you can't give away. Everyone wants to buy energy now. They're going to have negative earnings growth next year. It just goes to show uh, people's nature is to chase and it, it doesn't end well in the intermediate term. Uh, so the economic data, continuing claims ticked up. So the Fed will like that. Uh, other than that, we've got a rig count uh, at 769 down from 792. We've got a lot of production coming online before the end of the year. With that said, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. We'll be back next week, same time, same place. In the meantime, make it a great one. Bye for now.